From the Christian Research Institute in Charlotte, North Carolina, you're listening to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with Hank Hanegraaff. We're on the air because life and truth matter. The mission of the Christian Research Institute is to equip believers to answer life's essential questions soundly and persuasively, and to give the reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. For more information, go online to equip.org. The following program was pre-recorded. And now, here's Bible Answer Man host, Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you very much, Randy, and we will be going to calls in just a few moments. We want to give our contact information on the web, equip.org, via the mailbox, 8500 Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. Resource Consultants is always standing by, 888 and the letters CRI. Let's go to the phone lines. Rosemary first in Stratford, Connecticut. Hi, Rosemary. Yeah, hello. Hi. Hi, Hank. I just wanted to ask a question. I got your book, The Old Signification of American Christianity, and I guess I didn't really understand what was the problem if Joel Osteen is a word of faith, what's the problem with the word of faith, and what do you propose instead? Like, how are we supposed to view our faith, then, if we don't view it in terms of the way Osteen Yeah, that's a very good question, Rosemary. The answer to that question is a very crucial answer in that faith is an essential in Scripture. And when you take faith and then you redefine it in terms of the cultic structure of New Thought metaphysics, where faith is a force, words are the containers of the force, and through the force of faith you can create your own reality— What you've done is you've taken cultic ideas and baptized them with Christian language. In Christian theology, faith is not a force, nor are thoughts the containers of the force or words the containers of the force. Rather, faith is a channel of living trust between an individual and their God. And faith, therefore, is only as good as the object in whom it is placed— If your faith is in your own faith, that is credulity. It's misplaced faith. If your faith is in God, then you can pray, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because we don't even know what's best for us. So the very notion that we can conjure up whatever we want would be tantamount to conjuring up tragedy for ourselves. God knows precisely what we need. And oftentimes when we look back at our own history, we can thank God that he did not answer our prayers in the affirmative, because if we got everything we prayed for, we would be in a lot of trouble Again, because we don't know what we need, we see a snapshot in time. God sees the panoply of our lives. But there's another part to this as well, Rosemary. Joel Osteen will say that the paraplegic that we find in John's Gospel lying by the pool of Bethesda created his own reality by his words. Not only so, but he could recreate a new reality if only he were to use the right words. And therefore, instead of lying around feeling sorry for himself, he'd get up and be healed. 
And so the real problem is that the paraplegic has caused the paraplegic problem. And this is a horrifying thing to say to anyone who is a quadriplegic or a paraplegic or has other maladies, to heap on them the guilt that their words created their reality. No, we live in a cursed creation. And the one thing we know is that in this world we're going to have trouble. Our Lord himself told us that. But he said, take heart. I've overcome the world. So the real issue is to place your faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that he will give you peace in the midst of life's storms. Not a panacea, but peace in the midst of life's storms. Wow. Thank you so much, Hank. You explained that so well. I never really understood that. But I'm starting to, and I, and I, and I see now that if you give yourself over to these false thoughts about faith and hope and all this stuff and not placing your yourself securely in Jesus, you're, you're going to be very disappointed. And that's exactly the point. You said it so well, Rosemary. I mean, it's a religion or it's a belief system that over-promises and under-performs. The reality is there are some of the most godly people who are dying of cancer. I just met one, stage four. They're godly people. We can't say to them that their disease is a function of their lack of faith. No, we live in a cursed creation, and the death rate is one per person. Every one of us is going to make it. We're all going to die of our last disease. Until the Lord appears, that is the condition of humanity. So what Christianity does not promise is this healing and health and wealth if you can only conjure up the right words and thoughts and sentiments. No, what it tells us is that we can have peace knowing that we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Back to the phone lines, we'll talk to Michael next in Brentwood, Tennessee. Hi, Michael. Hey, how you doing, Hank? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm pretty good. A little while back, you had numbered the legalization of marijuana uh, as one of the reasons of the moral decline or, or as a cause or, you know, whatever, the, the moral decline of America. You numbered it among gay marriage and, and a, a few other things. And to me... You know, I was just wondering why alcohol and and the rampant use of nudity and pornography and pornographic references and to pretty much advertising and everything else. You know, I know you can't name them all, but, you know, if marijuana had been legal for some time, you know, would it, is it immoral because it's illegal? Or, I mean, what makes that immoral? Yeah. I mean, even if it were legal, it's not moral. But the point here, I think, is that the Bible calls us to be sober-minded, not indulging in drug-induced stupors. And this is the very same thing, and you make the point very well in the prologue to the question, the same thing that happens with drunkenness. Drunkenness is something that is antithetical to a biblical worldview because we are called to be alert and sober-minded. Now, there are a lot of other reasons, though, that I have been very strong about the issue of marijuana. Marijuana 
has all kinds of bad effects on the temple of the Holy Spirit, including respiratory illness, mental illness, impaired cognitive function, distorted perception, problems with learning and memory, all the kinds of things that we pay a price for later on in life when we could be more useful for the kingdom, we are doing things to impair that usefulness. So I don't disagree with the point that we shouldn't mention one without the other, but you can't mention all of them. And I think you made that point as well. So there are times that you pick and choose. But yeah, I think this is one of the examples of decline within Western civilizations. Thanks, Hank. Have a great day. Bless you, my friend. Appreciate your call. Back to, this is an interesting, uh, if this is really true, call on line three, Memphis from Memphis. Is that right? That's right, sir. Oh, nice to talk to you. Well, man, it's a real treat to talk to you. I'm so encouraged by your broadcast, and I really appreciate the way you're able to communicate um, your insights into the Word. Thank you so much for all the time that you commit Mm. to helping us understand the Bible further. Well, it's an absolute privilege for me. Thank you for those kind words. Well, my question was uh, regarding a reference, a very brief reference in the Old Testament. I'm sorry I'm unable to get to my Bible right now. Otherwise, I would reference it for you. But the word watchers or the term the watchers is used, and it seems to be referring to uh, maybe an angelic class of being or a supernatural class of being. Can you expound on that for me? Yeah, actually that term, and it's become popular in our culture because of the movie Noah, the term actually comes from the book of Enoch, which is an ancient Jewish pseudepigraphal text. It was written during the intertestamental period and then quoted by the New Testament in Jude. So the idea is an idea that comes from that intertestamental book. It's really not an idea that comes from the Bible. And so when you see the modern movie, Noah, that idea of watchers that helped Noah in the building of the ark and so forth, actually comes from a pseudepigraphal text. do want to mention as we go to break that for those who joined the Bible Answer Man support team, I would be pleased to personalize one of my books to you, a family member or friend, as a way of equipping you to always be ready to give an answer or reason for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and with respect. We'll be back in just a few moments. Being asleep at the wheel is dangerous. In fact, it can be downright deadly. That should be a wake-up call to Christians who are dangerously asleep at the wheel when it comes to wokeism. It's a deadly ideology that permits no discussion or debate. Simply obey or else. Make no mistake, people who are tolerant of such madness and incivility aren't being gracious. They are being dangerously and perhaps fatally naive. So grave are the threats of wokeism to civilization as we have known it that we have dedicated an entire special edition of the Christian Research Journal to analyzing this now rampant social and mental disease. To receive your copy of the special woke edition of the Christian Research Journal, visit equip.org. That's equip.org. Or call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-CRI. Stay with us. Hank Hanegraaff will be back with more right after this.
If you're not horrified, you should be, because the relentless assaults of wokeism on sanity and common sense have now reached a fevered pitch. In fact, some astute observers see more than deranged ideologies at work. It's as though the gates of hell have been opened. And alarmingly, the speed of this mindless rush to chaos and potential civilizational collapse is gaining momentum daily. That means Christians need to wake up and wake up fast. One of the best alarm clocks is the upcoming special Woke edition of the Christian Research Journal. It contains sobering articles with penetrating analyses of a social disease that is reaching a flashpoint. To receive your copy of this special edition of the Christian Research Journal, visit equip.org. That's equip.org. Or call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-CRI. The number of wolves surrounding the Christian flock is growing, and they relish nothing more than docile sheep utterly incapable of defending themselves. From militant secularists at home to militant Islamists abroad, the assaults on biblical Christianity are growing dangerously. But Christian Research Institute support team members aren't in favor of feeding these wolves. Instead, each day they're making possible an array of outreaches that defang these wolf packs with solid arguments and evidence that have stood the test of time. What's more, support team members are equipping themselves with CRI's Equipping Essentials, a hand-picked collection of the best apologetics tools around. Your selection of resources are just our way of saying thanks. To learn more about the benefits of membership, simply visit equip.org. Once again, that's equip.org. Hank Hanegraaff has dedicated his life to defending truth because truth matters. Yet an encounter with Christians in the underground church of China left Hanegraaff contemplating his Christian experience. They were experiencing something beyond truth. They were experiencing life. Truth Matters, Life Matters More by Hank Hanegraaff is two books in one. Because Truth Matters, Part 1 equips Christians to defend the essential truths of the historic Christian faith. In Part 2, Hank explains why life matters more and how we can experience the height of human existence, union with God. Prepare to move past intellectually knowing about God to experientially knowing God in Christ. To receive your copy of Truth Matters, Life Matters More, The Unexpected Beauty of an Authentic Christian Life, Call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support the Christian Research Institute's life-changing outreaches, 888-7000-CRI, or visit us at equip.org. Let's return to your host, Hank Hanegraaff. Let us go back to the phone lines now. Next up is Doug. He's listening in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, Doug. Hi, Hank. Thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. You had a guest on who was advocating an old earth, you know, either millions or billions of years old, and I didn't really pick up on whether or not you shared that view, so I'm not sure if you can, you know, explain how he, you know, comes to believe that is a possibility. Yeah, well, I think most people who have the view of an old earth come to that realization by looking at God's general revelation, the universe that he created, a universe with a hundred billion galaxies, each with a hundred billion or more stars. 
And if you look at that universe, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So there's information that you can get by looking at creation. You look at the stars, for example, and you can see a star that's in infancy. You can see a star that's in midlife. You can see a white dwarf star that's burned out its energy. And as a result of that, you can determine age. You can determine age through speed of light, uh, through many other factors. And therefore, there are many Christians that look at these evidences in general revelation and say, the universe is old. Moreover, there's no evidence from the Bible that it isn't. There's nothing in the Bible that gives us a chronology so that we would know from Scripture how old the universe is. The Bible does give us a way in which we can remember God's creative prowess during the continuous seven-day cycle of our lives. And this is what Moses has done for us. He's given us a way to remember that God has created all things and that we are the crowning jewels of God's creation. And I love the way he's done that. He's not only done that through symmetries and parallelisms and patterns and so forth, but he's done that through a literary tapestry that's memorable. And I think that's the most important thing. Moses wanted people not only to hear but remember. And Jesus, in similar fashion, wanted his words to sink into our ears. And this is the thing that people so often fail to have happen. So in Genesis, you have these beautiful parallelisms. For example, you have one and four as days being in parallel, one referring to light, the other to luminaries. Then you have day two and five, sky and sea and sky and sea creatures. And then you have three and six, where you have land and land creatures. So there are these parallelisms all given in such a way that we could remember. Even the genealogies we know are obviously not sequential, they're symmetrical. Ten on one side of the flood, ten on the other. Again, so that we might remember the highlights of a literary tapestry that sets the foundation for the rest of Scripture. Hey, Hank, um, you mentioned the genealogy uh specifically that one there in Genesis 5. Now, since the genealogy tells us how old each father was at the time the next generation was born, doesn't that make it really difficult to insert missing generations? Well, first of all, we know that there are missing generations, right? If you compare genealogies, and I do that in the Creation Answer book, you immediately recognize that there are different genealogies. And again, the reason that they're different is not because they're in conflict one with the other, but they have different points to make. This is the reason Matthew gives you three sets of 14. It's why Moses gives you two sets of 10. It's not to construct a chronology, but it's rather to communicate in memorable prose God's purposes chirology, God's purposes in creation. And I think that anyone that takes the time to read or memorize portions of Genesis, like the book of Revelation, immediately you recognize that kind of structure, that kind of mnemonic aid by which you can not only hear but remember. Okay, 
thanks, Hank. But, you know, when, when it says that, you know, the man was so old when the son was born, if we can't take that literally, then doesn't that put us in a dilemma of whether or not we can, you know, really believe literally what the Bible has to say? But what do you mean by literally? First of all, son can mean grandson, as we see many cases where you find that there are whole generations that are missed. I mean, if you are familiar with the genealogies, you know that immediately. So that doesn't in any way mean the Bible isn't true. It means that it's highlighting, it's giving us mountain peaks. But remember, when you say taking the Bible literally, that means taking the Bible in the sense in which it is intended. So the essence of metaphor is understanding one thing in terms of another thing. I mean, think about time. Time is so often contextualized through money. So we speak of time spent, or time wasted, or time budgeted, or time squandered, or time shared. Obviously, time is not really money, nor are there time banks, but it's a way of communicating one thing in terms of another thing. You think about ontological metaphors in the Scripture. In other words, metaphors that are imbued with human qualities. We, in common parlance, say inflation is eating up our profits or inflation has robbed me of my savings. We also, from a biblical standpoint, say we are the body of Christ, or eating and drinking becomes a metaphor for believing in John chapter 6, or Israel is communicated as the unfaithful wife of God. These are all metaphors, and those metaphors have sharp teeth. They don't denude meaning, but they enhance meaning, meanings that we'd ordinarily miss. So to say that we take the Bible literally means that we understand the Bible as literature. It's infallible, inspired, but literature nonetheless. And to fail to recognize that would be to, in the end, be robbed of the meaning of Scripture. I mean, if you took Genesis literally, God would have feet, and we'd become Mormons and say, God has a body. If we took the Bible literally, I'm talking about in a wooden literalistic fashion, we would say God does not know all things. Because suddenly we would say, oh my goodness, God didn't know where Adam and Eve was. He asked, where are you? So you have to take it in the sense in which it is intended. And there's an entry that I did that's very helpful in the Creation Answer book. I think it's called, What is the Genius of Genesis? And what I do there is seek to point out that Genesis is a literary masterpiece, and that with inspired brilliance, you have Moses interlacing a historical narrative with symbolism, repetitive poetic structure, powerful elements of story. In other words, he introduces characters and plot and tension and resolution and the like. And he does that to set the foundation for the rest of redemptive revelation. So it's not gratuitous. It's not literary beauty for the sake of literary beauty, but it's to communicate in a way, as I mentioned before, so we would not only hear, but remember. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Well, you're entirely welcome, and I've written about this in a number of places, including the Creation Answer book. Let's go back to the phone lines, talk to Jeremy, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Hank. Um, thanks for taking my call. I'm, a I'm actually calling about uh, a question that you asked, or was asked of you a little while ago. Um, the, the watchers 
are you'd say that come from from First Enoch. Uh, however, there is a reference in Daniel, and I apologize. I'm, I'm driving down the road right now. I can't. I can't really look it up for anything. But I believe uh, it's Daniel 4:17, and in the context of it, and it's. I think the word "watchers" is used in the in the English Standard Version. I don't know about other translations. That's that's the translation that I read. So I, I don't know yep. if, uh, if that's the only one. In the context of chapter four, it's it's Nebuchadnezzar who who makes the statement, and uh, he's he's been uh, informed by the I, I believe the, the watcher that uh, that he's going to lose the king, or he's going to be humbled. He's going to eat, eat the grass of the field, um, and and so whenever he talks about the watcher, is it a Babylonian concept? Is it a Hebrew concept? Uh, what what's the biblical idea of of the watcher because because it is there yeah and I don't know well it's not watcher though it's watchman and there is a distinctly different connotation in Daniel four than you have in the pseudepigraphal intertestamental Jewish book that I referenced earlier Enoch. There is some commonality in that both are, you know, angelic beings, but there's a significant difference as well. If you look at watchers in the book of Enoch, they are used in context to teach men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and to make known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working those metals. And then the watchers sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and devour one another's flesh and drink the blood and so forth. So there's a completely different context in terms of usage between the watchers in Enoch and the watchmen as depicted, as you correctly said, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I'm going to have to leave it at that. We are out of time for this edition of the Bible Answer Man broadcast. As we sign off today, I want to uh, mention once again what many of you are familiar with. Some people hear it, but sometimes it takes a while to act, and that is, we need your help. If you can support this ministry tangibly, it would be deeply appreciated. You can do that in a safe, secure fashion on the web at Equip.org. Thanks for tuning in to the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Our website, Equip.org, has an abundance of resources to sharpen your discernment skills and help you grow in life and truth. We provide books, videos, and informative articles. You can also listen to the broadcast, download archived programs, get answers to pressing Bible questions, or connect with us via social media. All this and more at equip.org. Again, the address is equip.org. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is supported by listeners like you. We're on the air because life and truth matter. If you thought the pandemic was scary, it may actually pale in comparison to today's pandementia. We're talking about wokeism and its growing legions of followers who have defiantly and dangerously declared their independence from reality. That's right, for those infected by the woke virus, anytime their ideology encounters reality, ideology wins. To help halt the advance of this deadly social and mental disease, you'll want a copy of the upcoming special edition of the Christian Research Journal. In it, you'll feast on penetrating analyses and criticisms of one of the most dangerous ideologies in modern history, all written to help you grasp just how deranged this tyrannical movement actually is. 
To receive your copy, visit Equip.org, that's Equip.org, or call 888-7000-CRI, that's 888-7000-CRI.